There are many things we can desire in life, but there's one thing that we need to desire above everything else. This message is entitled, The One Thing You Need. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, if you will, your teaching sheets for the weekend. Uh, just one quick announcement before we get into today's message. Next weekend, we actually are into the month of December, and so I'm going to be sharing a special series over the month of December called Come Let Us Adore Him. We're going to talk about the, the power of worship in your life, and all of us need to recognize that there's tremendous power in us learning what it means to live a life of worship, and uh, it's going to be a great time of, uh, preparing for Christmas together, so you want to be a part of that, invite some friends, be a part of this Christmas season with us here at church. Today I'm going to share uh, one message with you. It's not a series. We kind of finished up our series last weekend, Me to We, and this one particular message that is on my heart for this weekend, the title of which is The One Thing You Need. Would you say it together with me? The One Thing You Need. If I were to ask you to create a list of something you really, really want or something you really, really need, what would be at the top of that list? You might think about some item of clothing or some kind of thing that you'd want for your household or something that you've dreamed about for a long time and something that you say, I really, I really would like to have that or, or I really need that. Today, I'm going to invite you to maybe change some priority on your list, to think about something that perhaps you haven't thought about in the same way for perhaps even some time or maybe never at all. I want to talk to you about the one thing that you really need because there's something that you and I need that supersedes everything else. I want to take you back to the Old Testament book of 1 Chronicles and remind you of a story that comes from the life of King David. I'll need to set the story up for you just a little bit. In just a moment, we'll read chapter 15 of 1 Chronicles, verse number 1. But I want you to understand a little bit of the history. You'll get a bit of history today in the first portion of my message that I think will be helpful to you as we understand sort of the layout of the Old Testament a bit and how this, uh, what we're going to look at today applies to our lives. King David was the second king of Israel. The first king of Israel was a man by the name of King Saul, and King Saul started out very powerfully and strong, but over a period of time, King Saul became full of pride and disobedience, and so God rejected him as king, and although he remained on as a king for a period of time, he's not living in the sense of relationship with God. And at this time, also David is being prepared to take over the kingdom, so David's going to be the second king. And there's this period of time where Saul is king, but David is being prepared for, king, for the kingdom, and he's running from Saul because Saul is trying to take his life. And during this whole sequence of time or season of time that, that Saul was the king, he, he never really thought much, much about worship. He never really thought much about really structuring the people of God spiritually because he had his own spiritual problems. But when David became the first king of Israel, he had something on his heart he said, I want to make sure that we establish things in right priority again. Things have been out of kilter spiritually for a period of time, and we've not given attention to things that we need to give attention to. And so David, as he starts out his administration in his first few days, his first months, his first years, he begins to establish some spiritual priorities for Israel again. One of those being the establishment of Jerusalem as the capital city of, of Israel, establishing Jerusalem as being a place of worship, the place where the temple was going to eventually be built. David had it in his heart to build a temple for God. He never built that temple, but he prepared the way for Solomon to build the temple, but he wanted to build a place of worship. And there was the city of David that he established there next to Jerusalem. And so here is David with his passion for worship, this passion to connect with God. 
And in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verse number one, we see one of the first things that David did after he established Jerusalem as a central place of worship. The Bible says that David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. I want you to note that phrase, he prepared a place for the ark of God. Would you say that together with me? He prepared a place for the ark of God. This is a very important statement. Because for all those years that Saul had been the king of Israel, Saul had paid no attention to the ark. And the ark was a central part of the worship of Israel. The ark, to give you a little bit of history, was something that was established or built by Moses or Moses' team and direction from God. It was a wooden box covered with gold, and it, it would be placed and was placed in the most holy place of the tabernacle, eventually into the temple, the Holy of Holies, and it represented to Israel the presence of God. And in that box were a number of very important items, including the two tablets of stone where the Ten Commandments had been written and several other things that were included there. But this, this box represented God's presence. It represented the, the atmosphere of God permeating the work and plans of Israel as a nation and obviously as a part of their worship. And so Saul for years had ignored the ark. It had not been a part of worship. But David becomes the king of Israel and says, we've got to get the ark. We've got to prepare a place to get God's ark back where it needs to be. Let's prepare a place for the ark of God. Let's prepare a place for the presence of God. David understood that the most important thing that Israel needed, the most important thing that he needed, the most important thing that he could do in his administration was to have the presence of God among God's people. If I were to ask you today, what is the most important thing in your life? What should be the number one thing that you have and pursue in your life? That number one thing should be the very same thing that David understood you and I need above and beyond anything else. We need the presence of God in our lives. We need His presence in a, in a very real and meaningful way. And so to help us to understand the power of God's presence, I'm going to take you on a quick journey through several passages in the Bible, actually nine quick passages that we'll walk through to lay a foundation for the value of the presence of God. And then from that, we'll talk about how this applies to our lives. The first point that I want to bring you to is found in the book of Genesis chapter 4. And in the book of Genesis chapter 4, it was a time when Cain had killed his brother Abel because his offering was not accepted. Cain's offering was not accepted by God and Abel's offering was. And so Cain was jealous of his brother Abel and killed him. And in that moment, God removed his presence from, from Cain. And notice what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 4 verse 14. Today, you are driving me from the land. Cain is saying this to God, and I will be hidden from your presence. And notice this, I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Cain is admitting the fact that without the presence of God, he's going to spend his whole life in restlessness. You and I need the presence of God if we're going to have rest in our life. And apart from that, we will be restless. Abraham understood the blessing of God's presence. As Abraham obeyed God and goes to the promised land initially and begins to walk the the length and breadth of the land and God begins to show him what the future is going to be and he's going to have a great nation that will come after him. He's walking in the presence of God. God is with him and other nations around him recognize that God is with Abraham. 
And so these other nations who would normally have attacked Abraham began to make treaties with Abraham. Why? Because they realized that Abraham was not in this thing by himself. God was with Abraham. And even one of the strong kings of the Philistines comes to Abraham and establishes a covenant with him because he recognizes the presence of God in Abraham's life. Genesis 21, verse 22, at that time, Abimelech, he was a Philistine ruler, and Philcol, that's the commander of the Philistine forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. He says, I realize we're not going to fight with you because God is with you. When the children of Israel found themselves in captivity in Egypt for those 400 years and began to cry out to God for deliverance, obviously there came the moment when God raised up Moses. He saw the burning bush and God spoke to him and God calls him to go into Egypt and speak to the Pharaoh and establish those curses, those, those, those different kind of plagues that will come against the, uh, the, the Egyptians, the last plague being the death of the firstborn. And so Moses goes in. And as God begins to work, there's this moment of deliverance that happens because God shows up in the presence of the Hebrew slaves in Egypt. And let me give you part of the story in, Hebrew, in Exodus chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. Notice what happens on that same night. God says, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and I will see the blood, and I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. God says, here's what I want you to do. I'm about to give this last plague and there's going to be the death of every firstborn child and animal in the land. Here's my instruction to you, my people. I want you to get a lamb. I want you to slay the lamb. I want you to take the blood of that lamb and paint it over the doorpost of your house. And when the death angel comes over the land of Egypt, when I, when that death angel, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's where we get the phrase, the Passover, the passing over of death to those who are who had the blood applied to their lives. Now, we understand that that comes into the New Testament of how Jesus died on the cross. He was the ultimate Lamb of God, slain for the sins of the world. And when the blood of Christ is applied to our lives, the death angel passes over us. We don't, have, we don't live in death. We live in life. Amen? So here's this moment that God shows up with this covering of the blood. And the, so they begin to move out because they have been freed. And the Pharaoh says, you can go. And as they're heading out of Egypt, heading toward Mount Sinai, they are facing a, a problem. It's, it's the Red Sea and they can't get beyond it. And so they're stopped at the Red Sea. And I want you to see what happens here in this moment in Exodus chapter 14. They're at the Red Sea now. They've come out of Egypt, heading toward Mount Sinai, and Moses answered the people, now they're at the sea, Don't, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, will, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. Let me tell you, God can't fight for you if he's not with you. When God's with you, he'll fight for you. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Here's this amazing miracle. Not only do they, are they set free by Pharaoh, but they come to the Red Sea and God's presence parts the Red Sea for them. Moses valued the presence of God. As Moses now begins to lead the children of Israel toward Mount Sinai and toward their future and toward the promised land potentially, 
Moses was facing all the challenges of being a leader, and he had two million Hebrews that he's leading, and they were not very pleasant people to be around sometimes. They're complaining about one thing or another, and so here's Moses dealing with all these people all the time, and finally he goes to God, and he prays this prayer in Exodus chapter 33, verses 13 through 17. Listen to it. If you're pleased with me, Moses says, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Notice this prayer. The Lord replied. Notice God's reply to Moses. My, what's the word there? My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. There again, you see the connection between rest and the presence of God. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. God says, here's Moses. Here's what I'm going to do for you. I promise you this. As you, go, as you go forward, I promise you that I will be with you. you. My presence will go with you. Israel goes through lots of different ups and downs as a nation, and they find themselves in a time of great difficulties called the period of the judges. In the period of the judges, they were being oftentimes oppressed by all kinds of enemies around them because they were not following God. They were living in idolatry, and sin. God would raise up a judge to, to deal with the enemies of Israel, and one of those judges was a man by the name of Gideon. And Gideon, by nature, was a very shy, withdrawing, fearful man, very inti- easily intimidated, anxious sort of person. And God calls Gideon to be one of the judges to rise up, if you will, and fight against the Midianites and deliver the Israelites. And here is the thing that was going to give Gideon the assurance of victory. The Bible says, God speaks to Gideon and says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And so Gideon realizes, I don't have to do this by myself. I will do it with the presence of God. Dear ones, can I ask you again, what is the most important thing you will ever need and have in your life? It is the presence of God, the presence of God. Joshua eventually becomes the leader of Israel after Moses dies, and he wants to lead them into the promised land. You've got to understand this dynamic that's going on here. Here's Joshua has been Moses' assistant for many, many years. He's watched this great man, Moses, do all kind of incredible miracles, and he's been there as a part of his assisting him, helping him. That's all Joshua had ever been, as a helper. And then Moses died. And God says, Joshua, you're going to lead them into the promised land. And Joshua feels very intimidated by his ability to do this. And God speaks to Joshua as as he's about to lead the Israelites into the promised land. And notice what he says, what God says to Joshua. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land. I swore to their ancestors to give them. God says, Joshua, don't worry about it. I'm going to get you in because my presence is going to give you the power that you need to accomplish this goal, this task that I've assigned to you. There's a time in Israel's history when Israel actually lost the presence of God. In a very significant way. Going back into history just for a moment. Very important history because you might recall that there was this time that Saul had been king. and then, But prior to this time of even Saul being king, there's this moment that Israel tried to take the, the Ark of the Covenant into battle with them against the Philistines. And so there's this time when they are risking the Ark of the Covenant. And the Philistines actually captured the Ark from the Israelites. 
And so they take it, the Philistines take it into their their camp, and then while the ark is there among them, what was a blessing to the people of God was a curse to them, and so they began to form tumors and got sick and realized, my goodness, we need to send this thing back, and so ultimately they send the ark of the covenant back. But I want you to see what happened when Israel lost the presence of God in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 19 through 22. His daughter-in-law, this is the daughter-in-law of Eli the priest, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant and near the time of delivery when she heard the news that the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead. She went into labor and gave birth but was overcome by her labor pains. As she was dying, the women attending her said, don't despair, you've given birth to a son. But she did not respond or pay attention. She named the boy Ichabod saying, the glory has departed from Israel because of the capture of the ark of God and the deaths of her father-in-law and her husband. She said, the glory has departed from Israel. The ark of God has been captured. There's this horrible moment in Israel's history where they lost the presence of God. It was a very, very dark season for them when that happened. They lost the glory. And even this lady names her son Ichabod, meaning the glory has departed from Israel. After the ark, as I mentioned a moment ago, had been with the Philistines for a period of time, and they realized it's causing us more trouble than good, we're going to send it back. So they sent the ark back to the Israelites And it landed in the house of a man by the name of Obed-Edom. And Obed-Edom now has the the care of the ark for three months. I want you to notice what happened when Obed-Edom has the ark in his his house. In 2 Samuel 6, verse 11, The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months, and the Lord did what? The Lord blessed him and his entire household. Here is Obed-Edom now that the ark has come back. And he, he's got the ark at his house, and he realizes, my goodness, this is amazing. Everything that I'm doing is blessed of God. My kids are healthier than they've ever been. My crops are, 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 are more abundant than they've ever been. My finances seem to be going further than they normally go. It seems like life is really going well because the presence of God was there. There you see that with God's presence comes blessing. The ultimate expression of the presence of God is in the, in the form and the dimension of Jesus Christ. When God came to earth through his son Jesus, he was bringing his presence, making his presence available to you and me. In Matthew 1, verses 22 and 23, the Bible speaks of the birth of Jesus. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means... God with us. And so now that Jesus has come, here's in the Old Testament, only Israel could experience the dynamic presence of God. But because of Jesus, all of us have the opportunity of experiencing the presence of God in our lives. All of us have the opportunity of experiencing the ark of the covenant inside of our soul in the temple of our lives. All of us now have the privilege of walking and experiencing God in a very real personal way. What is the one thing that you need in your life? Look at your list and say, you know, I need to rearrange some things on my list. The one thing that I need more than anything else in my life is I need the presence of God. Let me talk to you just for a moment about the presence of God, what it is and what it isn't at some level, and then we'll talk about how you experience it in your life. When we talk about the presence of God, there are two, in the Bible, there are two dimensions to the presence of God. There's the general presence of God, and there's a specific presence of God, general and specific. The general presence of God is reflective in the nature of God. God is the omnipresent God. God is everywhere, amen? There's no place God isn't. 
God is every place. You can't get away from God. The psalmist David said in Psalm 139, if I go up to the highest place, you're there. If I go down to the deepest depths, you're there. I can't get away from you, God. And so God is everywhere. So there's the omnipresence of God. Everybody in the world has access at some level to the reality of the omnipresence of God. God is everywhere. This world wouldn't work without the presence of God. The sun wouldn't rise in the morning and set in the evening if it were not for God's presence at work. The Bible even speaks of the fact that the heavens declare the very glory of God. His presence is among us, the omnipresence of God. But you can be in the omnipresence of God and not know God. Are you hearing me this morning? All the world, all the occupants and population of the world, we live in the atmosphere of the omnipresence of God But just because you're in the omnipresence of God doesn't mean that you know God. There's another kind of knowledge of God and experience of God. That's what I would call the transformational presence of God. So there's the general presence of God, the omnipresence of God, and there's the transformational presence of God. Let me explain the difference. The transformational presence of God is when God comes from the omnipresent dimension and he gets down inside of you into the business of your life. Amen? He gets inside of you and his presence begins to work in you to do things in your soul, in your spirit, in your life where God is truly living in you. It's not just the omnipresence of God around you. It's God in a very personal way living in you, the transformational presence of God in your life. And that is exactly what you and I need. You need the transformational presence of God in your life. Because that's what makes the difference in how you live, how you walk, how you talk, how you interact, how you do business, how you make decisions. Every realm of life will be affected by the presence of God in you, not just around you, but the presence of God in you, transforming you, making you different from the inside out. That's what you and I need more than anything else. So the question that I want to answer for you today And by the way, this might be the most important message that you hear this entire year. If you'll hear this message this morning, it can revolutionize your life. What I'm going to share with you in the next few moments, if you'll get this in your heart and your spirit, this can be the turning point for your life today. Because if the most important thing you need is the presence of God, and it is, the question is, how do I get that? How do I experience that in my life? I'm going to share with you four things that will help you to experience that in your life that you need to be aware of and you need to actively engage in. The first thing is you'll never experience the transformational presence of God until you become a seeker of God. You've got to seek Him. Now, the word seek is a word that we all use from time to time or certainly we're familiar with. It means to go look for something. If I said, I need you to seek out some information for me about whatever it might be, you would, you would research. You would do everything you could to find the information necessary. Well, when we talk about seeking God, and seeking God is a vital part of what we're called to do, seeking God means that we are actively going after God, that we're actively taking steps in His direction, that we are leaning into God. While God is at work in our lives and around us, He's looking for people who are actively seeking Him, who are going after Him, who are leaning in His direction, who are saying to Him, I want a relationship with you, and I'm not going to give up until I have a relationship with you. I'm pursuing you. I'm going after you. I want you in my life. I'm not going to back down. I'm going after you, God. I want you more than anything else. When God sees a person like that, there's a reward that comes to your life because if you seek him, you'll find him. 
If you seek him, you'll find it. But there has to be this active thing inside of you that says, I'm going after God. It's not passive. You can't seek passively. Nobody ever seeks passively. You have to seek actively. There's something that rises up in you. And my challenge to you is we're wrapping up one year, 2018, and heading toward 2019 and heading into your future. I want to encourage you today to make a choice no matter what you've been through, what life has dealt you, and what has been a part of your life in the past. I want to encourage you today that today you're going to make a decision. I am going to be an active seeker of God. I'm going after God like I've never gone after Him before because what I needed in my life more than anything else is his presence, and I, I'm not going to be satisfied with anything less than his presence. I'm not going to let the, the junk food of the world fill me up. I want the real food of the presence of God. Okay. Somebody with me this morning? Yes. You've got to be a seeker of God. You've got to say, this is, this is the number one pursuit of my life, and that means you begin to rearrange the priorities of your life because you're seeking that one thing. You're seeking that one thing. Everything else falls into play. Matthew 6, says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. Notice what the scripture says say to us very, very clearly in the book of Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found and call on him while he is near. Now is the time to find him. Now is the time to seek him and he will be found by you. The second word I want to give you this morning, do you want the presence of God in your life? Come on, church, do you want the presence of God in your life? If you want the presence of God in your life, you've got to seek it, okay? The second of all, you're not going to like this word. I'm going to give it to you anyway. You've got to sacrifice. You're not going to experience the presence of God without some sacrifice in your life. You have to die to you to have more of Him. I have to die to me to have more of Him. We have to die to ourselves to have more of him. You can't have you and him on the throne of your life at the same time. There's only room for one on the throne of your life. And that choice is going to be, will you be in charge of your life or will you let somebody else be in charge of your life or will you step back and say, no, God, you're on the throne of my life. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to lay some things down that I would normally hold on to because I realize when I hold on to those things, they're not valuable to me, valuable in the light of who you are. You're more important than anything else in my life. I'm laying it down. I'm sacrificing it on the altar. I'm giving it up to you. Here's the beautiful thing about God. Anything you think you're sacrificing from God, it never really hurts you. It always helps you. It may feel like it hurts at the front end, but it's always a help on the back end. Ask Abraham because God spoke to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22 and said, Abraham, take your son, your only son, and go up to the mountain. I want you to build an altar. I want you to lay your son Isaac on the altar. I'm sure that Abraham's saying, you've got to be kidding, God. I waited 25 years for this boy to be born. What are you talking about? Be Lay him on the altar. You've you got to be kidding, God. But Abraham, the Bible says, early in the morning, he rose up and he got everything necessary to go up to that top of that mountain. He built an altar. He said, Isaac, hop up on the altar because God said, I've got to give you up because there's nothing in my life can be more important than him. 
And Isaac gets up on that altar and Abraham raises his hand to take the life of his very own son and God stops him there in the moment and says, Abraham, I was testing your faith. I just wanted to check out and see if I was really number one in your life and you've proven to me that in fact I am number one. Now there's a ram over there in the bushes. Go grab the ram and put him on the altar instead. And that's a picture of Jesus, how he came to take, take the sins of the world and be the sacrifice so that we could go free. Isaac went free and the ram died. Jesus died so we could go free. But you've got to sacrifice some things in your life. And my question is, what are you holding on to so dearly? What's in the way of your relationship with God that you're holding on to? I've got to have this. I got, this is important to me. Would you be willing today to say, God, I'm going to put that on the altar. I don't have to have it. What I have to have is you. What I have to have is you. I don't have to have that. I'm willing to build an altar and put that on the altar today because I know that if I'll give it up, if I sacrifice it, God, I know that you're, you're well able to give back far and exceedingly abundantly of whatever I could ask or imagine. And life is always better on the other side of sacrifice. Always better on the other side of sacrifice. There's a reference in your notes this morning to Exodus. I want you to scratch that out. We're not going to look at that, that reference. I'm going to give you a different one. It's Romans chapter 12, verse number one. It's going to be on the screen for you. So just ignore the Exodus one and look at this one on the screen with me. Listen as I read it. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. Let me stop there for a moment. Paul's writing to the Roman believers. He's speaking to us by the Holy Spirit as well. I urge you. One translation says, I beseech you. Another translation says, I beg you. We might say it this way. Paul says, I'm down on my knees doing everything I can to get you to do this. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Let's stop there for a moment. In view of what God has done in your life. Can I ask you this morning? Has God done some merciful things in your life? Has God been merciful to you? Has God been gracious to you? If you know Jesus and your sins have been forgiven, you've experienced mercy, you've experienced grace. If you have eternal life, you've got it as a gift of God's mercy and grace. So Paul says, I urge you, I'm begging, I'm down on my knees begging you to do this in view of what God has done for you, in view of the mercy of God in your life. I'm begging you to offer your bodies as a living what? There's that word, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Paul says, I'm urging you to lay some things aside. I'm urging you to crawl up on the altar and die to some things in your life. I'm urging you to take a blank sheet of paper and give it to God and say, God, you fill in the details. I'm not going to control my life. You're in charge of my life. I'm giving it up. I'm sacrificing. I'm up on the altar. It's been said that the biggest problem with a living sacrifice is that it keeps crawling off the altar. And how true that is. We get up on the altar one day and then we're down the next day. And we get back up on the next day and God says, make your mind up. Okay, choose. Are you going to be, you going to give it up or not? And so my, my, my challenge to you this weekend, this message is burning in my heart for us. What is the most important thing you need in your life? It's the presence of Almighty God. You need that. David understood this. We need the ark. That's what we need. You got to have the ark. And you and I need the presence of God, not just the omnipresence of God. Thank God for that. But we need the transformational presence of God in our life. How do we experience that? We make the choice in our life to seek God like we've never sought Him before and to sacrifice like we've never sacrificed before. There's lay ourselves on the altar and give up some things that we're holding on to. And the third word I'll give you this morning is the word sensitize. You've got to sensitize yourself to God. If you want God in your life in a, in a greater dimension, you've got to learn to listen to Him in a greater measure. Let me say it again. If you want God in your life in a greater dimension, you've got to listen to Him in greater measure. 
Because you know where intimacy comes from? It comes from communication, amen? That's how you get intimate with someone, is by communicating, okay? Real intimacy is based upon communication. And so, if you do all the talking and the communication and the process with another person, do you get to know them? No. If you do all the talking, you've got to learn to, help me out here, you've got to learn to listen, right? If you're not doing any listening, you're doing all the talking, you're not doing any of the listening, then you're not hearing the perspective of the other person. You're not getting into their world. You're not experiencing what they're trying to help you to understand about themselves. And the same is true in relationship with God. For us to get God into our life, we don't, do, we don't need to do all the talking. You know, for most of us, that's what our prayer life is. We, we get down on our knees and we start jabbering. Okay, God, I need this. God, I need that. God, I need the other thing. Thank you, Jesus' name, Amen. But God says, when do I have time to talk to you? When is there a moment that you allow me to speak into your world? When are you opening up the pages of the Bible and letting me, let me breathe my life into the pages of that word? Let it come alive inside of you. Not just reading perfunctory because you know it's something I got to do today, but I'm reading from the standpoint of God. This is your eternal, wonderful word. Breathe the life of your spirit on your word and let it find its way deep down into my heart. I need your word to live, God. It is spirit. It is life to me. And so we come to God with that hunger, that listening for the Word, listening for the Word, listening to the still, small voice of that, the Holy Spirit as He begins to work inside of you. See, dear ones, you're a child of God, and the Spirit of God lives inside of you. And the Spirit of God has a voice that will speak to you. And when the Spirit of God speaks, let me remind you, this is always consistent with the Word, okay? It never, God will never tell you anything by His Spirit that is inconsistent with His Word, and when God talks to you, he primarily wants to talk to you about you. I have these strange people sometimes. People get strange ideas. They have us, well, God told me to tell you. It's like, okay. What did he tell you to tell yourself? That's what I want to know, okay? Right? Because most of the time when God talks to you, he's not so worried about you telling somebody else something. He's trying to get your attention about something you need to know in your own life. Amen? Okay, can I get an amen right there? Okay. So we get this false idea, I gotta go, I'm a prophet, I can tell you what you need to know. Okay, it's like, oh, come on, get off your pedestal, get off of it, okay? And realize that the Holy Spirit's there to talk to you about stuff in your own life, to help you to grow and to nurture you. He's not there to tell you weird things and make you do weird things. That's not what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit's there to help you grow, okay? To nurture you, to help you to understand how to be a better follower of Jesus. And so it helps us to get some of these weird things out of our mind in terms of how the Holy Spirit works. You know, the Holy Spirit, again, is all about making you more like Jesus. That's what it's all about, okay? Now, David understood this, this power of sensitizing himself to God. I'm going to give you a story here in, in the book of 1 Samuel. I need to set it up just a bit for you with a little more history here. Remember I told you a moment ago that, that Saul was the first king of Israel, right? Okay, and then David was going to be the second king, but there was this period of time when Saul was still the first king, and, and Saul had not died yet, and so David is, is being pursued by, by Saul, running from Saul, and Saul is trying to take his life. Well, during this period of time, as Saul is trying to kill David because he's, je he's je jealous of him, David is running all around the wilderness, hiding in caves in different places and in, in, the, in, the, in the wilderness of Judea. And there was this moment when David had been hiding in the back part of a cave because he knew Saul was around. And lo and behold, Saul came into the very cave where David was. And the Bible is very clear. In 1 Samuel 24, he came in to relieve himself. So he's going to use the cave as a restroom, okay? A little privacy, okay? He didn't realize that David and a few of his men were in the back part of the cave. And so he didn't realize they were there. 
And so some of David's men began to whisper to David, this is awesome. This is your moment. Saul's been trying to kill you for a long time. This is the moment you, God has set this up. Get your knife out and kill the dude, okay? Get rid of him. This is your moment. And so David listened to them, and he began to sneak up behind Saul, and he took his dagger out, and he cut off a part of Saul's robe. Let's pick up the story now in 1 Samuel chapter 24. Now's your time, David's men whispered to him. Today is the day the Lord was talking about when he said, I will certainly put Saul into your power to do with as you wish. Then David crept forward and quietly slid off the bottom of Saul's robe, but then his conscience began what? Bothering him. I shouldn't have done it, he said to his men. It's a serious sin to attack God's chosen king in any way. What I want you to see in that verse is that David was still sensitive to the voice of God. And if you want God's presence in your life, you have to be sensitive to those moments when the Holy Spirit's going to speak those little words of correction in your heart. You know what? What you just did, you really shouldn't have done that. What you said, you really shouldn't have said. You really should have done this. Those moments when we listen to God and we let Him correct us on the inside and we're not shoving that voice aside, but we're listening to that still, small voice of the Spirit of God because the more we listen to that voice, the more attuned we are to that voice. And God's voice will never bring you under condemnation. He's always there to help you grow. And when you respond the right way to it, you, you, you become more intimate with God. That's how intimacy with God develops. It's because you're developing your integrity with God. And out of your integrity with God comes intimacy with God. But you have to be sensitive. Now, if you ignore that, you know what happens when you ignore, you push away that little voice? Your heart gets a little bit harder. You become a little less sensitive the next time around. Next weekend, I'm going to talk about the heart of worship and how important your heart is. But be sensitive to the voice of God. Last word I'm going to give you. You ready for this one? So what's, what do we need more than anything else in our life? What do you need? The presence of God. Not just the omnipresence, general of God. We need the transformational presence of God in our life. Amen? Okay. How do we get it? We got to be a seeker. We got to put ourselves on the altar and sacrifice. Got to let go of some things, right? That we think we want to hold on to. We got to give them up to God, trust God with them. We've got to then sensitize. We God, Holy Spirit, help me to be more sensitive to you, to listen to your voice. And the last word I'm going to give you here, you might think it's unusual, but it's a very important word, and that's the word serve. You've got to learn to serve God. God shows up in the lives of people who are faithfully serving and doing the assignments He has given them to do. God shows up and works with His workers. If you want God to be in your world, you need to be a worker with God. That God has an assignment for you to do. God has something He wants you to do with your life. You're not on the planet by accident. You're not on the planet with no purpose. No, God designed you for a purpose. There's something that God has, has, has an assignment in your life to do. And so God says, do you want me to be with you? You get busy doing the work that I've asked you to do. And I partner up. I work with my workers, okay? I hang out with those who are working because we're a partnership. We're a team together. I'm working in you, and I'm working through you, and we're working together. But if you're sitting back as just a consumer, not engaging with anything, then you're breaking off a part of that flow that allows me to work in your life, to come into, your, in, 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 into a real personal relationship with you. When you begin to see God working through you and using you in some way, you're as, my goodness, God is in me. God's working with me. His presence allowed me to be a part of that. His presence accomplished that through me. And so you are a worker together with God. 
Now I realize there are certain seasons in your life that maybe because of a certain family dynamics or maybe things that have happened in your life that you need seasons when you kind of step back and just kind of chill for a little bit in terms of your engagement in God's work. But generally speaking, you need to be active in the work of God because when you are active, active in the work of God for the right reasons and the right orientation, the right motive, then you're putting yourself in a place where God can begin to work in you in a new and fresh way. God works with his workers. Amen? Okay. Are you hearing me today? God works with his workers. All right? And so when you work with him, now here's, here's a key. Very important statement I'm going to give you. When God comes looking for you, he always looks for you in the last place he assigned you. When God comes looking for you, he always looks for you in the last place he assigned you. If you tell your kids, go to your room, and then 30 minutes later, you want to know where your kids are, where do you go look for them at? In their room, okay? Why? Because that's where you assigned them. You told them, that's, what I want you, that's where I want you to be. And so when God assigns you something, stay with it. Because when God comes looking for you, he looks in the place where he assigned you. Here's our problem. We want to change our assignments. We like to adjust our own assignments. We want to, we want to be the one that picks our assignment. No, you don't get to pick your assignment. He's the boss. We work for him, amen? He gives us the assignments, okay? Now, whatever our assignment is, you need to stay with that assignment and be faithful in whatever that assignment is because when God comes looking for you, he looks for you where he assigns you, okay? You might say, well, you know what? I don't, I don't feel like my assignment's very important. Don't you ever think that way? Every assignment that God gives you is important. I don't care if you're a doorkeeper in the house of God. If he assigned you to hold that door, it's for a reason. There's a purpose he puts you at that door. It's to smile and share the glory of God with everybody that walks through that door. Wherever he places you and assigns you, there's a purpose and a value to it. Don't ever underestimate the value of your assignment. Be faithful in your assignment. Why? Because God works with his workers and God comes looking for you where he assigned you. If you're always jumping around to different assignments that God didn't give you, God said, where are they? What room are they in, okay? God says, I find them where I put them. Take a look at this last verse of Scripture, Matthew chapter 24, verses 45 and 46. A faithful, sensible servant. Notice this, a faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility, give a responsibility, like assignment, of managing his, his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job. What's a good job? Doing the assignment they've been given. The servant has done a good job. There will be a reward. What a great promise. David becomes the king of Israel. He establishes Jerusalem as a place of worship. The city of David. He says, you know, the first thing we need to do before we do anything else, we need to prepare a place for the ark of God. It's the most important thing that we'll do. We need to prepare a place for the ark of God. When it comes to your life and my life, what is the most important thing we will ever do and the most important thing that you will ever need in your life is a prepared place inside of you for the ark of God, not an object, but the presence, the transformational power of God in your life that comes when you seek Him, that comes when you lay your life on the altar of sacrifice before Him, that comes as you begin to sensitize your spirit to Him, that comes as you step into serving Him faithfully in the assignment He gives you. When that begins to all come together in your life, you begin to walk 
in a new dimension of the transformational presence of God. And with his presence always comes blessing. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray? Lord, this morning we've taken time to reflect upon especially David and the decision he made to prepare a place for the ark of God. After many years when the ark had been forgotten about, David said, no, we're going to get a, we're going to get a place ready for the ark. We need the presence of God. And I pray this morning that across this worship center and all of our campuses, those watching online, I pray that in this moment that you would remind each one of us that the most important thing that we need in our lives today is your presence. And Lord, help us to be seekers of you. I pray that we would press into you like we never have before. Let us have an appetite for God like we've never had before. Let us be people that hunger and thirst after you, God, and pursue you with all of our hearts. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to to give up those things we need to lay aside. Lord, sometimes we just need to sacrifice some things. We need to lay some things that we're holding on to aside and say, God, you're more important than those things. Show us what those things are, Lord, and help us to lay them aside knowing that we can trust you with that. Father, we pray that you'd sensitize us to the working of your Spirit in us, the voice of your Holy Spirit talking to us, even as David heard that still small voice of his conscience. Let us be sensitized to your voice in our lives, and Lord, help us to to find our place of assignment and to serve, because we know that you work with your workers, that you show up in the lives of those you give assignments to, and you work through them. So take this message this morning, and may it be more than just something we heard on a weekend. Let it be something that truly does help us to change the perspective of our lives as we move forward to live for you. For that, we thank you in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. And you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. 
If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.